0: Freedom, becoming fully alive. Are you becoming fully alive these days? I pray that's the case. The Lord not only wants us free, he wants us free, free. Free to be all that he's created us to be. In your thought life, do you ever have treasonous thoughts? Thoughts that are committing the crime of treason against our commander-in-chief? If you're like me, I've experienced that. But one thing we need to keep in mind, that if we're going to win this battle for our hearts, we must take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray and commit this time to the Lord. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We exalt you today, Lord. This is the day that you have made, and we rejoice in it. And we rejoice in you, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness throughout the day. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Cause us to come, become even more fully alive here today in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for each one that's here. I pray that we'll open our hearts and with no holding back, no reserve, receive all that you have, all that you have for your sons and daughters here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, especially if you've been coming to the Freedom Series We have uh, been in a series. This is the third part of a three-part series. Each part has seven sessions, so 21 total. And here we are in the third part, which is entitled, Winning the War for Your Heart. Let's have a little review as far as the first two sessions of this part. As you'll recall, recall back in session number one, Tearing Down Spiritual Strongholds. As we discussed that, we we realized that we're in a war, and uh, we began to take a closer look and realize more fully who our enemy really is. And then we we went on to uh, begin to identify what we're fighting for, and what we're fighting for, what's at stake, is our heart. And along with that, we talked about our hearts being a treasure. And uh, since our hearts are a treasure, not trouble, they used to be trouble before we surrendered to the new commander-in-chief, our new commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, they used to be trouble. They used to always get us in trouble, desires going bad, so to speak, not submitted to Jesus. But now, because Jesus has moved in, they're a treasure. And a treasure is worth fighting for. And then we concluded that time talking about a battle plan to tear down and even demolish the enemy's influence in a way that would ensure victory and freedom for our hearts. And then last week, our session was entitled Putting on the Armor of God, where we further identified the enemy as Satan and his terrorist band. And we talked about putting on the attire that we need for battle putting on the armor of God, which we discovered more closely, more fully, more personally that that armor is really the, the life of Christ himself. He is the helmet of salvation. He is our righteousness. He is the truth, the sword of the spirit. And our shot, our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He is our readiness and so on. And then we further reconciled or began to reconcile that this battle is not our personal battle it's not our own personal battle but it's the lord's battle and he will give us the victory and then today taking every thought captive is the name of the session today taking every thought captive and the theme verse today second corinthians 10 5 part B and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Today, we're going to be talking about cultivating a disciplined mindset that is always battle ready. As you look at your outline today, winning the battle Winning the battle for our mind will be our focus today. As a part of our heart, our heart is really our soul, the innermost part of our being. You could even say spirit and soul, our inner being. But when we speak of the soul, we're talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions. And uh, you've heard it said many times that the mind often is the battleground. So today we're going to focus in. Though there's a battle for our hearts, but the mind very often is the key battleground, our thought life. Let's take a look at a couple of verses in, in, in various translations to, to help bring this alive even more. Again, 2 Corinthians 10, 5b, but in the New King James Version, it says, bringing every thought captive, bringing every thought into captivity, rather, to the obedience of Christ. And then, Philippians 2, 5, also in the King James New King James, let this mind be in you, which was also in christ jesus so we want to bring every thought captive into obedience with christ every thought under the submission of our new commander in chief and we want to have his mind and we're going to talk a little bit about what characterizes the mind of christ let's take a look at philippians the second chapter to explore that further I want to read that in a couple translations today to uh, see that come even more fully alive, so to speak. In Philippians 2, starting with verse 5, it says, "'Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, "'who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery "'to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being, found in, uh, and, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's also read that in the New American, or excuse me, the New International Version, NIV. I'll read it in that one as well. Philippians 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same, is that of christ jesus who being in the very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped or retained but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross therefore god exalted him to the highest place And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And then one more passage that I'll read before I comment further. Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Matthew 11 verses 28 through 30. I'll read from the New International Version. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, we could also say meek, and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Well, as we look at Philippians and that passage there, verses 5 and following, verse 5 and following, and then we look also at Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, what really is the theme here? What is really the essence uh, of what the Lord is communicating here in terms of what characterizes the mind of Christ? Because if we are to take every thought captive, to the obedience of Christ and and have this mind that was in was in him and is in him what is that all about what does that look like what characterizes that what's the essence of it well I believe the essence of it is meekness and humility but but what is meekness what is humility well for many sessions the many sessions that we've gone through so far in this series You've heard me say many times that humility is not thinking too highly of yourself, not thinking too lowly of yourself, not thinking too much of yourself, not always on your mind, in other words, but humility is simply agreeing with God about yourself. And we we find the basis of that in Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 3, where it speaks of not thinking too highly of yourself, but having a sober judgment of yourself. In other words, sober meaning Agree with God don't think too high don't think too lowly don't think too much don't be preoccupied with yourself be preoccupied with him in other words as you're occupied with him Jesus Christ you'll be occupied with with what's on his mind be preoccupied with him and then you'll be occupied with what's on his mind but don't be preoccupied with yourself that will be a form of pride so what characterizes the mind of Christ Meekness and humility. Well, what is meekness? Oh, many times we think, oh, meek. We think of a a, a meek and mild, weak person who's not very assertive, who uh, really doesn't have an opinion, might be a nice person, but plays it safe, not courageous. You know, a people pleaser, doesn't rock the boat, kind of weak. it, It tends to be a picture of weakness. Meekness tends to be a picture of Weakness, but that couldn't be further from the truth by God's definition. Because meekness is included in the mind of Christ. In other words, coming under authority, not trying to control life. Submitted to, in our case, submitted to our absolute authority. And Is a part of humility, agreeing with him, but allowing ourselves to be God-tamed. We will never be able to be God-trained unless we are first God-tamed. In other words, our wills need to be broken and submitted to our commander-in-chief. It reminds me of uh, when I was a teenager, we raised quarter horses back in those days and we had an exceptional horse that we purchased at one time. We purchased the horse down in uh, Texas. We brought it back to uh, where we lived in the Fremont area. It was a beautiful horse. Uh, the confirmation on this horse was striking. Uh, just um, uh, the breeding behind this horse was was uh, nationally known. Uh, this was an exceptional horse. And I could just tell, this horse has already got what it takes. But when we purchased this horse, it was um, approximately two years old, so it was just to the point of being broken or needing to be tamed. Well, this was in the springtime, and summer was coming, and there was a horse show coming up, and we were planning on showing this horse in that horse show. It, it It was a ways out, I suppose, so we needed some time to train this horse, but this horse was just a natural. As my dad and I began to enter into that process of training this horse, it just, it just picked things up beautifully. I mean, it was incredible. It uh, learned all the cues, and uh, we were gonna show it in a, uh, in a class called Western Pleasure, where you walk, trot, and canter according to cues, turn around, and, and, and obey the commands of, of the rider, so to speak. Well, my dad was going to ride in the what was called the Senior Western Pleasure, and I, being a 15-year-old, was going to ride in the Junior Western Pleasure. But the more that we prepared and trained this horse, I could see this horse has got what it takes. This horse is already tamed and in the process of being trained. And I began to have the thought, we're going to win. And this is the first, the first time it will be shown, but we are going to win I just knew we were going to win, and I began to share that and declare that—not in a boastful way, of course—even though I was—I <laughs> didn't know the Lord then—but I was so confident. So I said this to our family, and I said it to friends that were in the uh, horse-raising circle of people that we were around in those days. There was a stable in town that we often went to, though we had a place in the, uh, in the country, our own acreage, there was a stable we went to and people that were also showing horses. And I began to declare to these people my age and older, I think we're gonna win. This is an exceptional horse. I, I think we're gonna win. And the day came and we won. I won my class, dad won his. What is my point? I think so often we think that once we are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we, we can't hope to win for a while. You know, that we're new, right? It's new. If you have newly submitted or newly resubmitted, so to speak, it's, like it's going to take some time, isn't it? It's going to take some time to win some battles, right? I mean, we've got to have a little more of a track record, right? I think the illustration I just gave, even with an animal, and we're human beings, we're not animals, this horse had what it takes. With Jesus living in us, we've got what it takes. The victor lives in us. The victory is in us. The winner is in us. You can submit today. You can respond to this message today. And you can expect with confidence to begin to see the fruit today in the days following. You don't have to think, well, we've got to do this for a while. I've got to get good at this before I can win. No, the heart is key. And that's what I'm talking about today as far as what is in our heart that relates to our mind. So we need to be God-tamed, and then we can be God-trained and enter into a disciplined life under the Lord Jesus Christ. What, is, what are some examples of thinking that is lacking in meekness and in humility? Well, many examples here. And we won't take the time to look all of these up, but I would ask you to do that this, this coming week. One example of thinking that's not God tamed would be angry, bitter, and jealous thinking. And we see this vividly in 1 Samuel. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, with King Saul being our example there. 1 Samuel 18. You remember that David had taken care of Goliath. He was defeated. He defeated him, cut off his head. The Israelites had prevailed, and they were returning, and now the people were singing. Saul has... Slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And we pick it up at 1 Samuel 18:8. 8. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me only with thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. With the examples that I'm giving you today, or will be giving you today, it's amazing the number of times that as our thinking goes down the wrong street, so to speak, yields to the flesh, is not submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's amazing the number of times that that actually opens us up to the influence of the enemy. And here's an example. Saul opened himself up to an evil spirit. Now, obviously, God didn't want to, he didn't want that to happen, but God sent that, in this particular case, God sent that evil spirit for his purposes in the situation. And you'll see other examples, too, where when our thinking is not submitted to the yoke of Jesus and not under submission to him, and we're not taking every thought captive to the obedience of him, and as our thoughts become disloyal to God and uh, we're guilty of high treason, so to speak, in our thought life, how we can open ourselves up to terrorist thinking, so to speak, and the influence of these demonic terrorists. And there's a perfect example because we, if you read the account, you'll see that Saul became obsessed with David and the obsession was to kill him. He missed the opportunity. He could have been a father to David. But instead, he competed with him, he was jealous, he was angry, and there was murder in his heart. He opened himself up. And we could go on and on in terms of evil influence that came into his life. Ephesians Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 is another example where it says, be angry, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 27, don't give any foothold. Don't give any opening to the devil. And there we have it once again unforgiving thinking is another example of thinking that is lacking in meekness and humility and we see there the account of the unforgiving servant who had been forgiven a debt of millions and we could draw a parallel our debt of sin that we could never pay he'd been forgiven a debt of millions and then what does he do he goes out and tries to collect on a twenty dollar debt that is not evidence of a humble and meek heart. That is not evidence of one who realizes how much he's been forgiven. And out of gratitude, out of love, wants to bless, wants to forgive because he's been forgiven so much. Such was not the case. Bitter envy in selfish ambition thinking. Let's turn to James, James 3. James 3, 14 through 16. It starts off by saying in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, and do not, uh, if you do that, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from from heaven but is earthly and spiritual and of the devil for where you have envy and selfish ambition there you find there you find disorder and every evil practice but wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure peace loving considerate submissive full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere what a contrast that we have so in each each of these examples anger bitterness jealousy unforgiveness bitter envy selfish ambition all of these are not the mind of christ they're all about the pride of life at the core Because there's a preoccupation with self. And you'll remember what I said in part two of this series, if you were here, when we talked about the message of the arrows and pulling out the arrows of pride and shame and fear and rejection and anger and depression, that every arrow is dipped in the poison of pride. Because there's always a preoccupation. We're always on our mind. Saul was always on his mind, wasn't he? And he was obsessed with David. There was fear. Unforgiveness is an issue of control and not submitting to the sovereignty of God. Rooted in pride as well. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, rooted in pride. Not taking on the yoke, not taking on the yoke of meekness and humility. Not God tamed, not submitted to his authority not agreeing with him not letting him define us not letting him settle who we are and agreeing with him prideful and covetous thinking as it should be I wanted to maintain some consistency here in terms of the use of adjectives and with covetous we added that nis we should drop the nis because that makes it a noun so prideful and covetous thinking we see in proverbs 13 10 pride breeds quarrels and we see the prideful and covetous thinking brought out in james 4 1 through 3 and we've already mentioned romans 12 don't think too highly of yourself then there's judgmental thinking and what characterizes that as you look at that account uh, and take the time to uh, press into that more when we are When we are focused on the speck in somebody else's eye and and we miss the beam in our own eye, the reason why we miss what's going on in our lives is because we're so focused on them, we miss what He wants to show us about ourselves. But with humility, with meekness, submitted to the Lord, then what's going to come out of our lives? When we are wronged, when we are wronged, we will want to take responsibility first and foremost to forgive. To submit to the lord jesus himself hung on the cross and said father forgive them for no they know not what they do jesus himself who was mocked and reviled but did not answer in return but submitted himself to him who judges fairly that's humility that's human that's meekness in his humanity he always did the will of the father Is that what's in our heart when we're in challenging situations are we thinking how can I get even how can I set the record straight how can I show them they're wrong how can justice prevail or is my first thought how can I obey you how can I submit to you how can I pass this test in your eyes Lord submission humility meekness that is the thinking of God. That is the thinking of God. The thinking of Satan is anger. The thinking of Satan is jealousy. He's the one that wanted to be as God. The thinking of coveting and comparing and jealousy and all the rest, that's the thinking of Satan. That's terrorist thinking. Are we guilty of terrorist thinking or are we guilty of meekness and humility? submitted to jesus thinking and then ungrateful as well as rebellious and self-righteous and condescending ungrateful is huge ungratefulness is huge a humble heart is never grateful because a humble heart always excuse me an ungrateful heart let me restate that a humble heart is grateful but an ungrateful heart is never humble because an ungrateful heart always thinks It deserves more. But a humble heart doesn't think that way at all. A humble heart is grateful for what God has provided because a humble heart is interested in the purposes of God more than his or her own purposes. Let's push the pause button for a moment before we go on because I want to talk about how to take every thought captive. I want to talk about the solution side, how we can enter into this life of, having the mind of Christ. How is it with you? Can you identify with any of these things on the list? Has meekness and humility been lacking? And I don't invite you to take a look at that, to rub your nose in it and and make you feel ashamed today. That's not my goal. We can afford to agree with God. We can afford to face these things because Jesus paid it all. Our commander-in-chief shed his blood so we can be free. So it won't help us to hide. It won't help us to blame. It won't help us to uh, avoid facing these things. Let's face them and be free and have the mind of Christ. Let's pause and contemplate this for a moment. Have this mind, have this mind that is also in Christ Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? I've been thinking again in recent days about uh, the Passion of the Christ movie. Uh, that movie has made an impression on me that I don't think will ever go away. I don't want it to go away. And of course, the Word of God is living, active, powerful. Uh, more powerful than any two edged sword, cutting to the dividing light of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, exposing the intents of the heart. So, the Word of God is, is where the life is. But that movie so vividly uh, portrayed things that are in the Word of God. And I just think of Jesus in different scenes, hanging from the cross. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Mocked and reviled, beaten and scourged, and then beaten all the way to Calvary. He wasn't a victim. He came to do the will of the Father. Do we know who we are? Do we know why we're here? I think if we don't settle, that's why parts one and two of freedom are so important as a foundation to what we're talking about now. Because if we aren't beginning to settle who we are, we're we're not hired hands. We're not servant girls. We're not orphans. We're sons and daughters. Of the King, and He has purchased us, and He loves us, and He accepts us in Him. He rejoices over us with singing. We've got nothing to prove. We don't have to perform to earn His love and acceptance. We already have it, and He wants us to live from that reality that we are sons and daughters, agreeing with Him. That's humility, submitted to His purposes. That's meekness. God tamed. That's meekness. Not understanding at times. Not agreeing at times. Needing to pour our heart out to him at times. And even pour out our complaint to him at times. And he doesn't banish us to hell if we get real with him. Because he understands. But we will banish ourselves to hell if we don't submit to him. That is not his will. He desires that none should perish but that all have eternal life and that all live a victorious life, not just come to the Lord, to the Lord and live a life of religi- religiosity, which is not freedom. I'd like to read a quote from a book that uh, Mindy and I have been reading. It's called The Place of Immunity. It's by Francis Frangip- Frangipan. We used to say Frangipane, but I heard him speak once and he says Frangipane, so I think we'll go with what he says. Anyway, we've been reading this book. If you're interested, let us know. We are ordering some copies. This, this book captures so well what I've been trying to communicate in this freedom series. Because the place of immunity is freedom. It is possible. It's possible. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, it's possible to live a life. Oh, yes, a daily walk. Oh yes, taking every thought captive daily. Oh yes, walking after after the Spirit and not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. Oh yes, new, a new day every day. New mercies. Fresh start. Choices all throughout the day. It's not like we get on the train and we don't have to decide again. It's already decided, so let's just take the train to heaven. There's nothing more to worry about. No, choices to make. A battle that we're in. This battle's supposed to be over, right? Saddam Hussein is out of office, right? He's been dethroned, right? But the terrorists don't live that way, do they? And Satan's defeated, but the demons don't live that way. So we're in a war. But there is a place of immunity. The dictionary defines immunity as freedom or exemption as from a penalty, burden, duty, or evil. This is how the living God wants his children to walk. In freedom from the penalties and burdens of sin. Delivered from the duties of legalistic religion. And protected and triumphant over the assault of the evil one. Let me read that again. Freedom. This is how. God wants his kids to live. Freedom from the penalties and burdens of sin. We've been washed. We've been cleansed by the blood of the lamb. There is nothing lacking. Are you you convinced? There is nothing. There is nothing you can do to improve on the blood of Jesus. So it's not shame on you anymore. It's shame off you because of the blood of Jesus. Freedom from the penalties and burdens of sin freedom from your sin freedom from sins committed against you that have imprinted you and made you just feel just made you feel just as guilty as if you would have been the guilty one free from the penalties and burdens of sin delivered from the duties of legalistic religion oh religion is death warmed over trying to do it on our own strength trying to first survive persevere take take these things that we're learning and try to dutifully obey and then what happens it's never enough right and then we get discouraged right and then we get in despair right and then we start having thoughts stinking thinking if you will terrorist thinking well i surrendered my life to the lord and well, i thought part of the deal was that when i surrendered he he'd give me the desire and the ability and i would never be tempted anymore and it would just it would always be easy now No more struggles, no more tests, no more trials. God, I don't like this. This isn't about time for this trial to be over. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. If you really loved me, it'd be over, wouldn't it? And the devil comes in there with his stinking thinking, could it be, could it be you're not a good enough son or daughter? Could it be that your father doesn't love you? He prefers George. He likes Richard better. He likes Bob better. He's got his favorites and you aren't it. You're on the outer circle. You ought to be glad you're not going to hell. He loves you, but he doesn't like you. That's for sure. The enemy is a liar, liar, liar. And he wants to bring this garbage on the radar screen of our consciousness. And we just think sometimes, just because it comes on our radar screen, we think, well, it must be me, or it wouldn't be there. So, free from the penalty and burden of sins, delivered from the duties of legalistic religion, which is basically trying to live the Christian life with Jesus left out, trying to live on your own strength, duty versus desire. And then protected and triumphant, protected and triumphant over the assault of the evil one. I pray you won't settle for anything less. And I know this is on your outline, but I cannot resist quoting this right now. I can't wait until the end of the outline. Proverbs 4.23. I can't wait. I've got to say it. I'll probably say it more than once. Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all things. For out of it flows the issues of life. Our hearts are at stake, sons and daughters. We can't afford stinking thinking. We can't can't afford terrorist thinking to come in. We must be disciplined. We must take every thought captive and make it obey. We can't let one speck of jealousy come in to the camp. We can't let any pride in the camp. We can't let any unforgiveness in the camp. We can't, we can't. It's cancer. It will destroy it'll grow it will it will not maybe it will and the devil will be happy to take 20 or 30 years to get it done and sneak up on you and you'll think well you're okay for today but then 20 or 5 or 30 years later you can't even hardly see straight because your mind and heart is poisoned self-deceived because of the pride because of the unforgiveness because of the bitterness we can't afford it. We must put on the yoke of Jesus. We must submit to his meekness. We must give up trying to control life. We must agree with God. We must cooperate. But then even that, we say, well, you know, our, our common response to that is, okay, 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 I've got it, i got it. I'll try harder. No, no, no. Don't try. Don't try. That is what is. The, that's the problem. We're trying. And it could never be enough. Is it okay to be weak in our own own strength? Is it okay that we can only do it through him? Is it okay that we've got to do it together, together? You can't do it alone. Well, I think I ought to be able to live this Christian life alone. I shouldn't need any help. I shouldn't need any community. I shouldn't need any accountability. I shouldn't need any encouragement. If I'm the real thing, if I'm really sold out, I don't need John. I don't need Bernie, I don't need Bob, I don't need anybody except Jesus, right? Just Jesus and I, right? I don't need you. I get along great with God, it's people I have trouble with anyway, so let's go. But we need the imperfect others, because that's all part of the process. That's part, all part of the molding and shaping. We're always learning if we're watching and listening. You can learn how to be and you can learn how not to be all the time, all the time and you can be reminded how to be like him. So we must repent, and the base, the base definition, the basic, the most basic definition of repentance is simply a change of mind. For us as a believer, it's going to be a change of mind and heart, but a change of mind. And we must receive that yoke. We must receive that yoke, because, you know, as you consider the life of Jesus on planet earth, how would we have done? How would you have done? You know, at the cross, wasn't it about enough? I mean, it was kind of like the money changer thing, that, that about puts it, puts it over the edge, doesn't it? It's kind of like, okay, God, game, okay, Father, game over, let's bring on the legions right now and fry them, I've had enough. I have had enough and beside all of my so-called disciples took off they're not worth dying for so it's operation fry planet Earth right now I've had enough but what did he say father forgive them they know not what they do because he was not a victim anyway how he was being treated wasn't the issue what the issue was he came to do the will of the father is that how we live our lives Oh, we get stuck on the issue. We get stuck on what's right, justice being done, making sure we're understood, making sure we're not misunderstood, hanging on, protecting our reputation, trying to control what people think of us, making agreement the goal. It's heavy, 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 hard, hard, hard. And therefore, Jesus says, come to me. Do you know what he's saying when he's saying, come to me? All of you that are heavy laden and overburdened, do you know what the burdens are? The burdens are not the circumstances that you're going through right now. Whether it be a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one, or health issues, or whatever. Those are not the burdens he's talking about in that passage. What he's talking about is, come to me, all of you who are guilty of pride and a lack of meekness. Come to me, all of you who are not God-tamed. Come to me, all of you that are trying to live life on your own strength. because It's a heavy load. It's a heavy, heavy life. Come to me, all of you that are trying to live life on your own strength, preoccupied with yourself, trying to control the outcome, not submitted to my yoke. Come to me and learn of me, because I am meek and humble of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls." And the burden will be lifted no matter what we're going through, no matter how hard it is, no matter how vicious, no matter how vicious the attack or the assault of the enemy, no matter how vicious the attack of that human being, no demon involved, a demon involved or not. It, maybe it's just the flesh at its nastiest, human flesh at its nastiest. But if, then if there's some demons thrown into the mix, it makes it all the worse, of course. But no matter what, Lord, make me the man or woman you want me to be. I'm submitted to you. I'm submitted to your purposes because it's more important. It's more important what you do with my heart than what you do with my hands. We must live that way. Our heart must be more important than what we do. But we tend to make it just the reverse, don't we? Because somehow what we do makes us worth more, right? I mean, that's where our value tends to be, right? A human doing. What you do is who you are. What you accomplish is where your value is. And especially if people see it and applaud it and and think, oh, you're just so wonderful. And many times what they're doing, they're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if your character is lagging behind the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that's a sad and dangerous thing. But we applaud the gifts. But how about the character of the person who gave them the gifts anyway? God. (laughs) God is always more interested in character than he is gifting. Always. Always more interested in the heart than he is the hands. Receive the yoke of Jesus. As we do, as we repent, as we submit, as we receive, we are in a position then with confidence, as it says in James 4 7, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee. That's the order. That is the order. No submit to God. You can tell the devil to get lost all day long and he's not going anywhere because he has a place. You've given him a place. So he's saying, hey, I don't have to to listen to you. You're not submitted. There's only one I listen to. There's only one I obey. There's only one I submit to. And it's the one where it says in Philippians 2, 5 and following, Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in Ephesians 2, leading up to Ephesians 2:6, starting with 2:6, He raised us up, sons and daughters. He, Jesus, raised us up, made us sit down together in heavenly places in Him, far above all principalities and powers. Every knee will bow. We're seated with Him. So submit to God, resist the devil. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. I've got a sheet attached to our outline today which gives us many opportunities. As we're tempted, and next week we'll talk about temptation, escaping temptation. There is a way of escape, by the way. But when we are tempted, or when we give into temptation and and fall or uh, yield to sin, and we are guilty, of terrorist thinking and we are not uh embracing the yoke of jesus and submitted to his yoke and we are not experiencing the mind of christ in the ways that we've been talking about and we fail what can our response be repent repent just as i've said repent receive resist and renew our minds it becomes a springboard i'm free forever from condemnation Because we're so tempted to feel discouraged and condemned when we fail. I'm more than a conqueror through him. I'm a possessor of the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ according to the word of God. 1 Corinthians 2.16. I'm victorious in Christ. I'm an ambassador. I'm chosen, adopted, accepted, seated, and sealed. A citizen of heaven, redeemed and forgiven, complete in Christ. That and more is all true. But we may say, well, it's not real to me. It's not real to me. Then we set a standard. Until it's real, I can't live like it's real. Because if I do, it's hypocritical, right? I can't pretend. No, no, no. It's not an issue of pretending. It's not an issue of posing. It's an issue of the heart. And God knows our heart. And even if we're not living in a way that is a perfect reflection of our heart, he sees our heart and he's pleased. He knows that sometimes we win ugly. (coughs) Using sports terminology the team may win but it was an ugly win well in us in this battle with us in this battle sometimes it's an ugly win <laughs> but he sees our hearts and he's pleased he sees willingness and he's pleased there's no condemnation in that but we must know the heart of our father Philippians 4:8. you can add your outline where it says whatsoever things are true Good report, et cetera, et cetera. Think on these things. We must enter into the practice of settling things at the extreme. You've heard me talk about that before, but this will be one of the key application points of renewing your mind. Because here we're faced. We're faced with a loss of job. We're faced with a loss of relationship. We're faced with a potential loss. We're, we're faced with having to give something up. But when you settle at the extreme, and and who is always at the extreme, Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is all we need. We take Jesus for himself at the extreme. And then everything short of the extreme is settled. Whether it was the torment I experienced. Before I came to the Lord and then the temptation that I experienced shortly thereafter that many was gonna leave me I settled it at the extreme because if she left me Jesus you're not which freed me to love her rather than try to possess her and when it was on my radar screen early on in my early on in my years at Trinity where I was tempted to think I wasn't wanted needed and questioned what I was really accomplishing as a pastor on staff at Trinity. I settled it at the extreme in terms of God's view, and God made it real to me. Okay, let's go to the extreme, Steve. Let's say nobody wants you here, which wasn't true. But nobody wants you here, Steve. They're all sneering and trying to get you out of here, pray you out, pray you out of here or whatever. It'll be a happy day when you're out of here. Let's take it to the extreme. And God said, I want you here. Free. That's all that matters many people quit jobs because they think or feel i'm not wanted and they let that be the basis of their decision making but when you're submitted to the yoke of jesus when you're living from his meekness and humility people may say what they want they may agree with god or not but it is plain to an audience of one and you are submitted to your commander-in-chief and you do what he says you don't wait for others to give you permission you don't wait for others to say, yes, yes, we have a critical mass here. We have unity. This is it. No, no, no. You obey God. You respond to him. Now, I realize certain opportunities may not come to the fore unless there is a consensus. Somebody could stand up here. In other words, I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, I think I ought to be leading worship starting next week. Uh, you, if you heard me sing, none of you would confirm that. <laughs> so, obviously, that's not the heart of God. So it doesn't mean we just launch out there and decide, well, I'm going to do this. And because God told me so, you're supposed to agree. No, no, no. If it's really of God, when it comes to opportunity, when it comes to movement in ministry, there will be, there will be a work through authority. And it will, God will support that. It'll be confirmed. But we've got to get it from God first. And we need to live from it, live from him always. Because we could have some question marks at different times. Well, what do people think of me? Do they still want me to be doing this? Well, I thought they did. They hired me to do it. But I wonder if they still want me to. No. Deal directly with him. Take your marching orders from him. Renew your mind. Settle it at the extreme. And once again, as we close our time, guard your heart above all things. Because it's a treasure. It's a treasure. And... This whole freedom series was birthed from a vision, a desire for us as sons and daughters to enter into a lifestyle of freedom, because I know what it's like not to be free, but I know what it is like to be free-free, and I want you, and I want to convince you, you can be free, and it doesn't mean you'll never be tempted. And it doesn't mean you'll never sin. And it doesn't mean you'll never fall short. But none of those are defining factors in who you are and your freedom. If we let God be the defining one as to who we are. And let him be the definer of freedom. I want you free. He wants you free most of all. I mean, In other words, what he thinks is what matters most. And it's not going to happen, though. It, It will not happen. Unless you get the arrows out... And unless you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ you cannot afford to go around saying in in verbalizing it well nobody loves me anymore well I guess I'm just not going to you know I I, you know grandma and grandpa didn't live very long I probably won't live very long either you know this this negative confession and I'm not talking about worshiping your words that's not my point but out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks And we can't let our hearts just go out there and we're just kind of leaking everything that's on our radar screen. Oh, that's on my radar screen? Oh, I feel like that, I'll just say it. I feel down, I'll just say it. I feel hopeless, I'll just say it. I feel like nobody loves me, I'll just say it. No, no, no! Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What does he say? That's what we need to embrace. That's what we need to live. And that's what we need to confess and say and be. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. And thank you, Lord, that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And I pray we'll be more motivated than ever to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, banish and destroy all terrorist thinking, and submit to your meekness and humility, and live from you in victory. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.